welcome to the latest episode of the Brush Builders Union podcast. I'm your host and general president of the Brush Builders Union, Simon Berman. This month, I'm joined by my friend, Sean Sutter. We spoke before. Sean, you may know from Relic Blades, Sludge, lots of other cool stuff like Blaster Magazine. Uh, Sean, you've been up to so many cool things in the last couple of years since we last spoke on the podcast, and I want to hear about all of it because it's all dope. Yeah, man. Uh, thanks for having me. It's been a, it's been a wild ride. This this past couple of years definitely threw a loop in uh, in like my what I thought my normal structure was as a games maker and designer, and so uh, I'm, I'm sure we have a lot to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. I think the last time we spoke, um, you were getting ready to do the Relic Blade, um, the, the the curl campaign Kickstarter, if I recall. Was that was that it? Yeah, uh, probably. I ran that in in 2020, so like right during the plague, and um, or you know when everything was really like yeah. tight and locked, and so so that that project ended up dragging out quite a bit. Um, it delivered finally in maybe June of 21. So it took a whole year to finish that. Sure. Um, and so that's been really cool though. It's an, it's a new two player set for relic blade where you've got like a new campaign system, new characters, lots of really good stuff. It, it turned out a lot better than um, my original goal for the Kickstarter. Yeah. Which, which is, you know, kind of the, one of the most most fun things about a Kickstarter is to be able to like have those stretch goals and and like try and show off a little bit. Not everything came together like uh, perfectly seamlessly because with the with obviously the supply chain issues and everything, I ended up having like the packaging wasn't quite perfect or whatever. So it's like for me, it's a victory that I'm really proud of, and I still you know. I sell that box set every day to people online. And, uh, and so I'm really proud of it, but there's also like some lingering, man, things are harder now, Yeah, you know, like, like that, that rests on me. And so after that victory in 21, um, I ended up pouring a lot of my creative energy into blaster and creating a new game called sludge, which is more of a, more of a fantasy war game um, rule set. And that's miniature agnostic for the most part. I do produce miniatures for it. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I've been working on various things and I'm trying to get back on the relic blade uh, project. I've got a couple of new releases coming up that depending on when this uh, episode gets published, I do expect to have like a pre-order up maybe even when people are listening to this. So oh, cool. it's been an exciting time. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that, that Kickstarter, you know, I think 2020 was a very challenging time to be doing much of anything um, yeah. professionally or creatively also. I think, you know, it's a testament to um, your strengths as a creator to you know, complete the projects. I know there were a number of projects that didn't get finished. Um, and, you know, those delays were really out of everybody's hands or the, the shipping increase, price yeah, increase it, costs were, were bonkers. It's, it's been, and, and it still is. Like, uh, you know, today I was, you know, running through numbers to try and and just do another print run of cards because my game uses, you know, cards with the stats and whatever. And, uh, you know, like where I used to, if I like really maxed out my print run, I could get cards for four cents each. Now, mm -hmm. now the best I can get is like 10 cents each. Yeah. It's rough which out is, there. You know, that's a big increase. And, um, and that's if I max out like 
you know, buy way more than I need and, and try and go crazy on the print run. So, uh, you know, shipping is way more expensive. It sure uh, is. Everything comes out a little bit worse quality than you wished for. Um, and that it can really take the wind out of your sails creatively. But, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I guess, I mean, it's, it's a valid topic to talk about on the show, you know, just the fact that everyone is dealing with it, you know, I've got friends that work for games workshop and they're dealing with it, you know? Yeah. So it's not just us indie guys trying to, trying to get by on the cheap that are struggling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it's, it's definitely a challenging time. You know, I, um, I run a, a small publishing company, um, not game related for the most part. Um, and, you know, there's there's a paper shortage in North America right now. I think it's getting a little bit better at the moment, but you know, it, that's that like put a crimp in my plans for the last eighteen months. Like, yeah, I got everything on on hold. You know, I, I I'm running a I run a small craft market every year in Seattle, uh, Black Owl Market. You know, we just ordered our postcards for promotion, and you know, it's funny they're they're more expensive, and the paper stock is worse than it was the last time I did it in 2019. <laughs> it's so, right? It's like, so funny to pay more and then get something and be like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> And like, you know, they're promo postcards, so I don't really care, but you know, it's just right. like, man, this sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I backed that Kickstarter. I got it. My hands on it. The miniatures are beautiful. Um, you know, I think, I think it's really something you should be proud of. And it's, it's cool. You, you got it out there. Even though it was a little bit delayed. Mm. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I feel good about it. You know, um, there are some of my, uh, colleagues, creative, you know, peers that still haven't been able to deliver what they expected. And, and I don't hold it against them at all. Like I absolutely understand it's, it's been wild. Um, yeah. I mean, those so, freight costs um, internationally are, are, they're truly insane. Yeah. I, I think, I think well, it's getting better now, but there was that period where, you know, people who were, were on the hook for, you know, five, 10 times what they expected to pay in, in oh, overseas freight had, from China. Right. Yeah. I had, uh, I had some tokens I got printed in Hong Kong and, uh, and they cost me, you know, like whatever, two grand to to do the print run. But it was going to cost like three grand to ship it to me. Yeah. And I, you know, I, that wasn't, that's not part of the quote. <laughs> you know, right, they don't, yeah. they just, they, and they just told me what it was going to be. And it was like, uh, no. And they're like, well, we can't, where, where are we going to keep this stuff? And I'm like, dude, <laughs> it was, it was nuts. Yeah. yeah, it's been nuts. Yeah, um, yeah I think I think this is starting to ease off quite a bit, but like it's there's still some some crazy things out there going on. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, that I mean, it does relate to the like industry, the creative effort, and and what I'm trying to do, which which ties into sludge in that being able to kind of shift away from my main, you know, relic blade is my livelihood. It's, it's my job. It's my, you know, my passion. It's, it's what I rely on for my income. Yeah. And so I, I really want it to be as good as possible. And so dealing with all these like, uh, insecurities of, of actually being able to get my hands on what I need, you know, mm-hmm. like tin going up in price, uh, the, the blister packs that I package my faction sets in like, aren't they don't they didn't make them they don't have them so i can't even buy them Uh, so i just like i'm on like kind of a wait list where you know every once in a while they'll be like oh we've got a case and so i'll i'll buy them but sure (laughs) it's not that's not a great way to run a business um 
So anyways, being able to take a step away from that and, and kind of focus some of my uh, creative angst and, uh, and sort of the grim feelings that I, I'd been having throughout this time into a new game had, was really cool. And so uh, Sludge is a dark fantasy war game. Uh, it's like a black powder setting. So uh, there's guns and knights and, you know, muskets and uh, hussars riding into battle. Um, And so part of it is just being able to really take advantage of the awesome miniatures that you can get from Perry miniatures. And then also the imagination of those like these like really proud armies, but dealing with like really, really uh, ignoble, like dark setting so uh that's that's been awesome um i i was able to publish the core rules in blaster and then also uh, the first expansion in blaster so no that's super cool um and you know it's a very kit bash driven project right like i know that you're you're producing some um sort of sludge heads and stuff but mostly you're (laughs) able to kind of make their models out of out of historical wargaming napoleonic or medieval figures right yeah yeah Uh, and i want it to i want it to remain like open to that miniature agnostic at its core while also being able to produce this or that thing uh, as I, as I want to sculpt it. So yeah. the first army I produced, I wasn't really planning on making an army, but I, uh, I sculpted an army and my friends at black site studio uh, are, are managing production and logistics for that. So I just get to do the art and send it to them. So that's been really cool too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Sculpting figures, writing games. Um, I started a podcast with my main, uh, my main creative collaborator, Malev. Yeah. I just said that. Uh, that, was, that was very recently, right? A couple months ago. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've only done like five or six episodes so far. Yeah. It's fun stuff. Um, I us to a bit of one. But it's fun to, you know, it's it's more like a ex- specifically Metal King Studio newsletter, yeah. Than sure. like than like you know a show that you'd go and see live or whatever. It's it's more like, hey, what are we up to? Kind of just a studio hangout session. Yeah. But it's a very fun way to to not be making the exact thing that I'm always struggling to make in order to keep in contact. I guess what I'm trying to say is like a newsletter is words and pictures of miniatures. And that's already what I'm trying to make. Yeah. So if I'm already spread so thin, trying to like actually make the models and take the photos and write the words, then newsletters can be hard to do. Yeah, but, uh, but, you know, being able to podcast a little bit or just record a audio of us talking about the, where the stages are, like where the projects are at uh, ideas we've had sort of, theory crafting uh you know campaign ideas it's been really fun to be able to yeah i like what i've heard you can have the obvious you know two friends talking about the stuff they love that happens to be you know what they're doing for a living Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so it's that's that's another thing i've been up to i guess yeah that's (laughs) i've been keeping busy we will definitely link that podcast uh in the show notes here um so actually, I like to know a little more about Sludge because you know uh, it oh, is yeah. sort of it's it's a mass battles game to a certain degree. It's a little bigger than scale than Relic Blade. Um, yeah, it's funny to try and describe what a game is, you know, because they'll write skirmish on pretty much anything these yeah. days, um, and 
and you know you don't really know what it is so to a historical gamer it's a skirmish game right to a contemporary like fantasy gamer then it's more of an army game but yeah you i i don't know exactly you have like 60 models on the table maybe yeah i mean i feel like i feel like there needs to be a new category of like like skirmish needs to go back what it was which was you know like maybe like 20 to 5 to 30 models and like we need to have like a new designation like warband for like you know get like well, Warband games like Necromunda mm-hmm. or Warcry or Relic Blade, you know? Yeah, well, yeah, because like even Relic Relic Blade's like four to six models per side. So I mean, Relic Blade's like a micro really game like, these days, right? Like, like a a D and D party, yeah, going into battle compared to Sludge, where you do have you have like units of line infantry marching across the battlefield and um, unleashing thunderous volleys. Yeah. So, so you know, I, I like to talk about you. Know, you kind of mentioned that it's sure. um, a different, very different kind of game for you from Relic Blade, um, which mm-hmm. I think is really apparent not just in the gameplay, where you know it is it is a bigger mass battle game where you have a whole army on the board, but you know tonally, Relic Blade's a little goofy and lighthearted. It's core. You know, even even the bad guys in Relic Blade, they're not like grimdark bad guys. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I don't, I, I don't like it's the word like, grimdark, which I feel like I got to use it here because they're not, they're not. You know, it's fun fantasy. It's like Saturday morning cartoon in yeah. a way. Like it's not. It's not overly goofy. It's not overly like He-Man or whatever. But there is a level of like bright colors and like fun adventure to it. Yeah, adventurous that, uh, I think is the word for it, right? Like Yeah, so so even, you know, it's it's lighter hearted than than necessarily D&D. Sure. In some ways, right? Um and then you know on the other hand, you've got Sludge, which is this, you know, it's a pretty dark game, right? Like, you know, it's this, yeah. this war-torn world of, of, you know, trench warfare and Napoleonic people, you know, Napoleonic-era weaponry just, you know, slogging it out in, in a World War One, you know, battle of attrition. And it's 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 really, it's quite grim for you. And I, I was curious what went into making that, you know, was, was yeah, so a big part of that? I, exactly. Um, I had, I had been, you know, well, we all were dealing with, sort of things being pretty dark and we still are terror yeah yeah um and then and at that time there was also like a really big tone to our daily life of like fear of scarcity yeah you know i mean like for you know it was so stupid people were buying uh, i you don't even need me to say people were buying so much toilet paper we We, we weren't allowed (laughs) to buy rice because you know one rice per family kind of thing it was like it was a very weird moment and so that strain was part of it but also uh wanting to uh be able to use my art as a way uh, of as a game designer to focus in on a theme in particular and so Relic Blade deals with these kind of lofty ideas of fate and good and evil and an individual's role in in being able to affect change. Um, and so Sludge, on the other hand, deals a lot with things being out of an individual's control and out of... Uh, you know, things are way bigger and way darker than one hero could ever really deal with. There's, yeah. there's no hero in Sludge that can just manage. Save the day. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's a world that was exploited uh, for magic. And so there, the past age was the age of arcanism. Um, 
the the guilds of Arcanists were able to figure out how to harvest the uh, the wood from the world tree itself, like burrow into the earth and find the roots oh, wow. of the world tree and and the heartwood and harvest it and use that to power their you know gigantic machines, flying mm-hmm. ships, every wondrous thing in this like you know maybe steampunkish um, Miyazaki dream world, right? Yeah. But uh, that exploitation killed the world tree. And so it's it's dying. And part of that death, the world tree was like a skeleton structure to the planet. And so when it started dying, the world actually like physically broke apart. Mm-hmm. And what's left are these big plains or tracts of land that are suspended in the branches and roots. And so there are some, you know, civilization survived to a degree, and it's been many hundreds of years since that happened. Um, But the people that hang on, hang on these like floating islands. Um, The magic that happens is technically forbidden, but, you know, the emperor will give special dispensation so that they can have their flying ships because more than ever, they need their flying ships to get from one place to the other. So there's like this big tension between a world that's dying and civilizations need to keep exploiting it. Like it sounds familiar. Yeah. If that's not too on the nose. (laughs) Um, And so part of the tone of the game is very much about you being forced into these positions where you're a commander, but you're not the general. Uh, You don't choose where your army's fighting. The scenarios are written to be like pretty punishing for Mm -hmm. the player um, where you're trying to make the, make the best isn't the right word. You're trying to achieve your objectives and survive. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and uh, horror mechanics are really core game mechanic driving factor to try and uh, set in this idea of how no one is, no one is actually benefiting from this violence. Right. It's sort of war for war's sake at this point. People need, people have needs and they're trying to achieve their goals, but they're under the control of these, you know, kingdoms or, or empires that are forcing them into these conflicts. And so, uh, the the main game mechanic for dealing with uh, order and disorder and um, psychology, I guess, or morale, is a, a gore mechanic. And so when units take wounds, they drop a physical one-inch circle gore token for each wound they take. So imagine... You know, just for those of you listening, imagine a unit of space marines, but in this case, they're knights. So you've got a a group of guys on round bases, and then they take damage and say they took five damage. You'd drop five gore tokens, and that would actually take up both the physical space on the table of five one-inch tokens that are all touching and then whenever units have to take psychology tests, they test against how much gore is within a certain range of them. That's super so, cool. So as the battle, you know, the opening shots, you've got lines of infantry marching forward. It's all very proud. You're under your flags. You're expecting something good. 
those initial shots, maybe a cannon shot flies through and, and wounds some guys, but it's, it's a little bit of gore, a little bit of the, the nerve test. They pass, they've got officers there and they keep their order and they keep marching. But by turn three, like there will be parts of the battlefield that are so, so covered in gore, so saturated that you, you will potentially choose to not even try and keep that area in discipline anymore. It's just so blood soaked. You can't even like control your troops there. Yeah. So you'll be like, that's kind of that the ship has sailed there. We need to, <laughs> we, need to go, go. we need to focus on other parts of the battle. And, and, you know, you can have, you can really be like very tactical about it. Um, Cause it's a very tactical game rather than strategic. You're it's what you do in the moment and what decisions mm-hmm. you do with your actions to really, uh, uh, respond to the evolving or rather more accurately the devolving situation of the battlefield and so uh how you manage it you can really focus on command and control and like keep your forces organized and that that works really well but there are certain points where like even if you have a unit say a unit of heavy cavalry smashes into an enemy formation that's already been weakened and you and you completely wipe them away from the battlefield that will have generated enough gore that there's still a bunch of strain on your troops from having mm-hmm. done that. So like the glory of victory still like weighs on your guys psychologically. Um, so that's a, you know, that's a big part of the whole theme, you know, the, the uh, evoking these like kind of uh, thoughts or concepts of, of how violence works, how uh, how there isn't really glory in war, while also being a game, you know, like because we're writing right. games and and it's gamified in a way that that looks amazing on the table. Where late game, you'll see portions of the battlefield that are just smeared with gore and fl- fires, and everything's going to have really changed as you play and tell a story tell this story of a, of a battle that happened. Uh, whereas sometimes when I've played other war games, it feels like you start with a lot of troops on the table and then the battlefield gets progressively tidier. Yeah. As you play, uh-huh. or maybe you've got piles of figures to the side, but like it doesn't look like a battle happened. Whereas with sludge, like you'll remember what happened because there will be a big pile of gore to your right. And there'll be a smear of gore far upfield on your left and the middle of the table. will have a few beleaguered troops that are struggling to pass their leadership test. Sure. And, and it really tells the story of hanging in there, uh, determination, but also like the tragedy of it. Yeah, okay. And so it's awesome. very, it's very fun. I mean, you know, it's a game, right? Sure. So it's not like, you know, there are games I've played, uh, like maybe you've played The Grizzled. Uh, yes. That game is amazing, right? But also sometimes I look at it and I go, I don't know if I'm ready to like, I'm not in the right place emotionally so to get that game. Yeah, out. I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Sludge is not like that. It's still very tactical, very fun and very fast paced for, for a war game. And the way the figures look, it, it's all very um, exciting and, and very engaging tactically um but it also you know it's very much about this 
these themes that I'm exploring are present in throughout the game, and you'll get a, a, a very unique wargaming experience by having, you know, by having the battlefield tell a story by the end, um, and by having had to make choices in the moment as a uh, officer rather than feeling like, all right, I'm going to send my forces this way to conquer this area and other forces that way. It's more like being in the trenches with your troops. I yeah. Think. No, it's cool. I, I I love the 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 gore and blood tokens so much. One of my one of the things I like in wargaming is to have a table that's you know as, as representative as possible. And I it makes me crazy when a game requires a whole ton of tokens on the board. It mm-hmm. kind of takes you out of it, right? And I, I like the fact that your tokens are actually part of the game itself. I, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah. The the first because um, I I produce tokens for relic blade and i printed tokens and produced tokens for sludge also and that's handy it's very convenient to be able to like have it ready made but um but initially i just took one inch circles that you can buy cheap on amazon or at craft stores or whatever Mm -hmm. just like wood circles and then modeled them as gore so it was you know it's more like a like a terrain project in a way or or something i don't know it's not really terrain but like objectives i guess it's similar to modeling objectives but yeah being able to model the gore definitely adds that uh, no that's really cool i mean it's 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 such a grim game you've just described um but you know i i I like a good grim game so i got nothing against that yeah Um, it's funny i'm i'm a pretty goofy guy in general like pretty goofy lighthearted, you know uh and and so it's but i love horror movies Mm mm-hmm and I love heavy metal and, you know, there's like the darker, the better, but somehow like, I, I can't really make it. Like maybe that's yeah. why I like it so much is cause like, it's not in me, <laughs> you know, like I can watch a cartoon and feel like, Oh yeah, this like, this is what's inside me. Yeah. But I can watch a horror movie and be like, Holy crap, this what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so maybe that's it. part of it yeah maybe that's part of it just wanting to reach out and and explore some of that but you know i'm not i'm not a very dark person in general but um you know 20 2020 brought it out of me and sent me to some some dark places yeah absolutely i think that's true for an awful lot of people um so here's a question so as far as the aesthetics of the game you know what what are what are your visual touchstones for you know i know it's mm-hmm a little black powder, a little Napoleonic, a little, little medieval, but like, you know, what, what makes it go visually? What, what What's the look of the game to you? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I've talked about it a bit and, and the real, the real answer is, is um, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Or yeah, uh, I can see that. Or maybe Castle in the Sky captures it a little bit. Like, you know, there's this scene where one of the airships has all these troops rushing here and there with their rifles, and the airship kind of disembarks, and a whole bunch of the troops just fall to their deaths. Or uh, there's a scene in the Nausicaa manga where um, the, I can't remember her name, the lady... The woman, Princess General, not not Nausicaa, but the general. I know it's been years since I've read it, but I know exactly uh, what you're talking about. And she's she's in the trenches with her troops, and the bugs come, and there's just body parts raining from the sky on them, 
And, but at the same time, like even with this existential problem, existential, like we're all going to die unless we deal with climate change problem in Nausicaa, still there's like this religious faction and this imperial faction, and they absolutely will do anything to kill each other. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's a big part of it is like, come on, like these bugs are killing everyone and still they're going to just keep sending troops into those trenches and they're going to keep yeah. marching on each other's cities and they're going to do whatever it takes to just ob- obliterate their enemies. And and it's so brutal. And, uh, and I think that's part of it. But, you know, Miyazaki, his aesthetics are are very him, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and so it's not that I want sludge to look like Miyazaki drew it, but there are images that are stuck in my head. Um, and, and world war one is one of those things mm-hmm. stuck in my head. Like the idea of these trenches, the idea of this, like, you know, um, star mortars, or I forgot star flares going off. And so there's unnatural light and like these shadows creeping across the mud and trenches. There's these images in my head. Um, and then as far as the, the uh, landscape where there's these small meaningless bits of land, right. But there's also so little land that they're fighting over just whatever scraps are left that, um, that also the, Pacific campaign of World War II is also like stuck in my imagination. You know, these Marines holding these tiny, tiny islands and trying to take them from these Imperial warriors and, and like that nightmare situation mm-hmm. um, that also really plays into it. So, so that's kind of a funny thing about the technology, right? It's not really Napoleonic. It's not really American civil war. Because I want knights. I love knights. Sure. And, and magic exists. And it's not Napoleon, but there's magic. It's like, no, if magic exists, there's no Napoleon. Like all of history is different. The whole world yeah, is different. Um, so, so part of it is leaving the game, actually the figures you put on the table open to interpretation, but also coming back to that theme of, of the human element sets the technology into a like pre-modern era where I want infantry superiority and I want lots of infantry on the table marching in tight formations. And I want, I wanted to bring back like regiments to my tables, um, but not the like strict squares of orcs and versus squares of, like empire troops or whatever that I played in Warhammer fantasy battles, but rather have more of the fluid movement of round bases. So I have uh, the line infantry is uh, multiple miniatures glued to a 40 millimeter base. So stands of bases kind of more like how you'd play with Napoleonic figures. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, because they're on round bases there, the movement is more fluid and the way the, units look they look like a unit or a group of men just like clumped together sure in desperation right so it's less about like we are a perfect square of red coated men it's more like 
stand next to each other because they're shooting at us. Holy yeah. crap. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then, you know, there's also like conceits to fantasy where like, okay, I want knights to exist. Sure. Like, yeah. So the guns can't be so good that they pierce armor, but it's fine if they do because the armor's magic. Or, you know, like I want knights to have, well, they've got magic swords, of course. So, uh, so whatever they get, you know, a knight can go ahead and cut through a tank. What do you mean tanks? Oh yeah, there's magic. So they can, we can have tanks if you want and giants if you want. Like, so they're, the setting is not as, um, analogous to like a popular culture thing. Like Mm -hmm. it's not Star Wars. It's not Lord of the Rings. It's not. Uh, Warhammer 40k setting so it's a little hard to wrap your mind around like I read um, read some of the books oh man I can't remember the name but they're like black powder fantasy about gun mage guys I know what you're talking about I've read them but I think I know what you mean Um, but yeah like you know those books even no it's not really like that it's more like what I imagined when I saw Nausicaa (laughs) sure you know it's more like what i imagine in howl's moving castle there's a war going on in the background of the story it's like Mm -hmm. being stuck in one of those battles but they were never drawn they were just happening suggested yeah so you know i think in that movie i think in that movie you see some battleships returning from a battle Mm-hmm. And another time you see some uh, a bombing run where some sorcerers have turned themselves into monsters and are bombing yeah. and burning towns. But like no one's on the ground, right? Right. Like so so what I imagine is more of like it's there's desperation, there's the human element, it's infantry superiority, but also um the whole the whole planet is in a state of desperation. And so yeah, you know, it's an exciting but very dark place to to be. Like, I wouldn't want to live anywhere near any of yeah. that stuff. But I, I love I, I love it in my battle games for sure. And I feel like I should point out that you know, as, as grim and bleak as as sludge is, you do still have you know units of guys who ride battle chickens. Uh, it's true. Yeah, I still. That's the thing is like, especially once I was starting to sculpt the armies. Like I said, like as much as I love horror. As much as I love, you know, Dark Souls or, uh, or you know, that video game Blasphemous. I don't know if you've played Blasphemous. I don't know that one. You know, it's just like, yeah, it's amazing. I just, I just, I'm sorry. I can't, do, it's not in me. <laughs> like, you know, there are chocobos in my imagination. Yeah. <laughs> not, not like, you know, nuns that are bleeding out of their faces. Like, anyways. <laughs> Yeah, I feel like World War One stuff is kind of having a moment in fantasy gaming, isn't it? Yeah, and I think, um, I think it, I think it deserves some of that. There's, there's a level of like ungameableness to it if you approach it to, if you approach it too realistically. Yeah. Um, and so I'm, I'm a pedant. Unfortunately, I'm very pedantic, which makes being creative. A kind of a challenge so i have to make justifications and so to me the devil's wire barbed wire does not exist in sludge okay because it's op <laughs> <laughs> it's too easy to make and it makes infantry basically yeah. nothing 
um, machine guns. Sorry, you know, maybe yeah, Gatling guns in in um, the Man with No Name trilogy or whatever. Like the, it's OP and it's sort of awkward. I don't really need them. You know, tanks. Yeah, I love tanks. They're like this inhuman creation that crawls across the ground. Well, like yeah, they're like they're like you know land ships, and I want those, but I don't want them. To, you know, they aren't Panzer units. They're like crawling magic castles. You know what I mean? And so they're they're conceits to, I want tanks, but I don't want barbed wire. Like, yeah, well, no one made tanks if there wasn't barbed wire. Like, it's magic, Sean. Like, (laughs) chill. I want to paint tanks. Like, yeah. (laughs) So I have to, I have to be like judicious about my pedantry, but also, you know, a core conceit of the game is that it's infantry superiority and I want that human element. Right. And I think that's a problem with wargaming or miniature gaming. Wargaming is fine. Miniature gaming World War One is like, what do guys do? Yeah, I feel like you get a scenario kind of very specific, right? Like Yeah. yeah. So if it's if it's World War One, it's like really the earliest stages where no one knew what they were doing, or or sure. really maybe more like late stage when a lot of their actions were just like small groups going into villages to try and get food, yeah, from locals. Yeah, so. no, that's cool. And uh, so you've 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 designed one army, the the Keth, I think. Yes, yeah, that's and right. They're and they're kind of a site, right. Yeah, they're like a Near Eastern inspired. So kind of if they were Warhammer, they'd be Araby or Talarn. You know, there's mm-hmm. sort of um, like kind of a turban, uh, imperial janissary sort of look to them. Sure. Um, and then I started another army, but, you know, like things have been so crazy. Oh, my gosh. Trying to keep up and juggling so many projects uh, and and dealing with myself as like kind of a flaky artist type. You know, I really got to be strict, but. Yeah, for Sledge, that's the army that I have fully sculpted is the Keth. And they turned out awesome. They're really they're, cool. They're available in resin from Blacksite. And um, and I, we also produced some terrain for the game. Yeah, and some alternate that, heads and stuff that. too, right? You could kind of yeah, pop exactly. on your Napoleonics, yeah. And um, and they're scaled more for like historical war game figures. Yeah, more true Which, I don't know. Right? I mean, I'm sure people who listen to this know, but like... That slightly that difference between like a heroic model and a non-heroic scale miniature, man. Non-heroic miniatures paint up like four times as fast. Oh my god, I know. <laughs> I've been, one, of, one of my ongoing projects this year is I've been painting a bunch of um, a whole lot of dudes from the for uh, the Baron's War from Footsore. Oh, oh yeah. I watch. I, I've been seeing watching your posts of that, and those figures are so beautiful. They're, oh, they're gorgeous sculpts, but they're a joy to paint because, you know, they're really detailed and they got a lot of character, but they aren't super ornate and they're kind of small. So, like, I can paint four of those guys up in, like, two nights to a really high standard. But, like, yeah. like, it's like, I'm never stressed about it or sweating about it. So, it's just, they've been a lot of fun. Yeah, exactly. So, that's another cool thing about that scale is just being able to, like, create armies. You know, I have four sludge armies that are, like, huge. Oh, awesome. That I painted just, you know very quickly and part of it is because the tone of the game is so dark that i just am able to use some of those um you know blanchitsu grim dark oil wash sort of yeah, techniques to uh, just bring out the detail I, i'm hoping to do a sludge army uh, maybe this winter and you know i've got a list of like various 
quick and dirty techniques that I think are going to look great on it. A lot of it's about oil washing and, mm-hmm. and um, you know, weathering pigments and stuff that you kind of slap on. But, you know, for this kind of project, you don't want them to look pristine, right? They're going to, it's an opportunity to like really, really make some, some gritty figures. Yeah, exactly. And, and once you get those tones down and like, and you get some washes to bring out the details, it's so easy to come in with like the accent color for the army, you know, an yeah. armband or a banner too. And, and, and you've got a really nice looking group of, of bitter troops. Yeah, I'm kind of holding off. A lot of my friends here who play um, have Keth armies. I, I was mm. kind of late to the party, so I'm kind of holding off to like see what's coming next. When I have a minute to figure out my, my own unique army for it. I know. I just wish I could. Yeah, I always, I always knew I was going to be when I when I finally wrote another game that I would just be pushing myself way too far, and uh, and that's what happened. Like I would, I would love to. Like I really want to write a a new scenario packet for sledge you know like to try mm-hmm. and try and tell more of the story of like what a, what a campaign is like but at the same time i've got so many responsibilities for relic blade and then i also wrote another game called cretaceous commandos that's like if if relic blade is saturday morning cartoons then these are like full-on like i don't know serial cartoons like there it's like straight out of i don't you're just toy aisle kb toys it's a toy commercial cartoon <laughs> yeah and and uh and it's really really cool and i ended up sculpting a bunch of models for it and i, I wrote the rules but like but you know the effort it'll take to do the decorative illustrations do the photography write the scenarios and play test and balance it's just like sean chill like you don't 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 go so crazy so like yeah i i need to keep up but i've been i've been really focused on relic blade this past two or three months and um and finally that project is coming out uh soon and then with sludge i yeah i really want to do more more writing and more sculpture but i just have to be patient and do things as i have time so I'm, I'm going to ask you, I think this is probably asked a difficult question on my podcast, I think, or one of the first times. Do you think there's ever a point where you're going to have to say, I want to make these things happen, but I can't do it all myself. I need to work with other people and do it. Or is that just not, is that beyond what you're interested in producing these games? It's, it's part of it. I mean, uh, that's part of my partnership with Blacksite, right? Yeah. Like it's not the most profitable thing to take your creative work and then basically like give it to someone else and say, can you send me royalties sometimes? Sure. Like, uh, but also I knew that it wouldn't be healthy for me to have another range of models in my garage that I'm yeah. fulfilling orders for and, uh, and the stress of production and all that stuff. So yeah, there will be a time when even, even relic blade models, I'll have to just stop keeping them in stock, you know, because uh, I can't have an infinite warehouse of stuff. But also, like, I want to keep making things. So, so there is a complicated question, and I don't really know all of the answers to it yet. Yeah, sure. Um, but part of it is I'm really working closely with Malev more and more mm-hmm. to the point that relic blade is like. I created it and he is, is my main creative collaborator. So, yeah. you know, scenarios 
characters almost uh, there's almost nothing i do now that i don't at least bounce the ideas off him if not have him be like a, a big part of the process um and then you know for sludge for example i would love to find someone that really gets the mechanics really understands the the message that i'm going for and that would be able to write stories and write scenarios and and that sort of thing like i'd I'd really like to be able to uh manage that stuff but also you know management is a huge job and so i don't necessarily want to become a manager because i'm very much i i feed off of the creative energy of just like seeing my things come alive so for sure yeah it's 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 complicated it is. And it's a part of, you know, I think doing small creative stuff that people don't really talk about is, you know, at what point does, you know, seeing it grow and be and become a bigger thing become more important than, you know, your personal in, in, involvement in it, you know, mm-hmm. is, is mm-hmm. when are you holding it back? When is it just, is it better because you're not holding it, because you are holding it back, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's really complex. Yeah. One of the artists that, um, that I sort of, you know, was, was looking at and also like trying to glean some wisdom from, uh, in, in when I was kind of trying to visualize what my career could be like was, uh, Mike Mignola. And so he created Hellboy. Yeah. He was drawing, you know, X-Men or whatever, but then drew Hellboy. And then the first couple of books, he was the sole you know, the first book he, it, it's very, it's a very, you know, I think, sorry to be so scattered with how I'm presenting no, this, but like, like it. it, it's actually a really good example, I think. Um, it, it resonates with me. Book one, he worked with a writer because he didn't think he was a good enough writer. Mm-hmm. So he told them the idea, had them write. Uh, I, I, I would, I should know their names, but, um, and a colorist, you know, and then he did the draw penciling and inking because that was what he did for comics. So I know sure. that's what he does for comics, but the writer told him you're good enough to do this. You should be doing this. You should be writing. And so later as he was working on it, he started writing, you know, and, but then with Hellboy, the release schedule was really slow because his work is pretty meticulous and, uh, and the effort that goes into it is, is really great. So at a certain point, he did start getting more help, you know, working mm-hmm. closely with a, a colorist he could trust and, and knew his work and knew what to do. And then that colorist coming over to other artists created a a continuity in his work and then spin-off projects he was able to totally just like work with other writers entirely and building this whole universe he's been able to have this career where it's unmistakably Mike Mignola's like Hellboy universe influenced by the things he grew up reading you know just like for me, for example, but for, for him, you know, HP Lovecraft and Conan and uh, all these things that the pulpy stuff that his generation grew up with that then filtered through his imagination that then I read 
and filtered through my imagination. And, and so I, I see a way for someone to have a creative career where they, they have that uh, auteur relationship to their work, but also understand where to be. Cause yeah. for a long time he can be just doing the covers and then other times he'll do a spinoff and he'll do all the art mm-hmm. or, you know, or, you know, so anyways, I think there's a lot of wisdom to, to, to what he's pioneered that yeah, actually it's a very influences fluid approach, me a lot right? more. Yeah. Uh, it influences me more than I necessarily um, recognize. Sure. No, I think it's a great, it's a very fluid way to approach as a creative. And I think it's, it's very smart of him because, you know, he, he lets him do whatever he wants and be where he needs to be. And isn't, he's, he doesn't get struck in the rigid goal of being like, well, he's the creative director, so he can only do X, Y, and Z, or, you know, he's never going to do the writing because that's what the writer's job is. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. There's a level of like uh, ownership that lets him wear the hats that he needs to wear. And so I kind of see myself that way where I do want to be, a, I mean, ultimately I'm making boutique games that everyone who orders a book from me, I'm doing a drawing for them in that book. And that's part of that is that like, that's the artistic touch that I really like, you know, that indie uh, artistic touch that like, I feel brings things to life. Um, But, you know, as far as my career, I've only been at this for seven or eight years and I expect to live at least eight more years. And so things will evolve. Right. Um, so, so we'll see exactly what happens, but I definitely am like, I'm really, really grateful and excited for all of the work I get to do and Mm -hmm. the creative freedom. It allows me as like the sole creator. And then like, what a wonderful time it is with the internet that we're able to connect with an audience and, reach new people, um, you know, that might change, you know, but in the meantime, I, I'm sure excited about it. No, that's very cool. All right, Sean. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to me. Um, you've got so much cool stuff coming up. We're going to look at all in the show notes. Um, but yeah, if you're listening, I hope you'll check out Relic Blade and Sludge, Black Side Studios, uh, the Relic Blade podcast, check it all out. It's all awesome. And, uh, Sean, hopefully we'll talk to you again when you got some new stuff coming out, which I think is not going to be too far off in the future, isn't it? Oh, yeah. I, oh, I, I forgot to even talk about it. Yeah, so just if you guys if you guys are stoked on any of the themes that I've talked about, uh, be sure to check out my work. I've got relicblade.com, and you know, you'll be able to follow some of the links. But yeah, I've got a bunch of cool new Relic Blade stuff coming out, new Blaster stuff I'm working on. So uh, I'm always working on wonderful little treats for my for my uh, gamers. Yeah, you really might be the hardest working person in miniatures wargaming. <laughs> I feel pretty like bewildered most of the time, but <laughs> I think it's because I I don't know. I expect so much from myself, but I'm just one little one little goofy little guy. No, your your work is incredible and I'm so happy it's continue, continue to be successful for you and I can't wait to see what comes from the future. Cool. Thank you, Simon. I, it was a lot of fun hanging out. Brush Builders Union is a community of like-minded miniatures gamers dedicated to playing their games fully painted and supporting one another in their craft. Brush Builders Union is here to help you stay on track with tools and a community of fellow painters to encourage you in your journey. Take the Union Pledge and learn more at brushbuildersunion.com. Mm-hmm.